Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Beatles fans, and welcome back to another episode of I Saw the Beatles. This week, our very special guest is Pat Mancuso, who was the who founded the original George Harrison fan club. And in fact, she was pretty young when this all happened, if I'm correct. Hi, Pat. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Good. And how old were you when you founded the fan club? Fifteen, barely. <laughs> yeah, and and you ended up with with thousands of members, right? Not thousands, one thousand. One thousand members, one thousand members, and, 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 I mean, all over the still, world. All over the world, and you were a teenager running this uh-huh. fan club. Wow. So let's yeah, let's I go know. back that a little wasn't bit. Easy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So um, let's go back a little uh, before, because obviously mm-hmm. you had to have, you had to have, uh, you know, found out about the Beatles like the rest of the world when, when before you did right. this. Uh, so did you? Obviously. Did you, yes, exactly. So did you see the <laughs> so did you see the Beatles in concert? Yes, four times. Wow, really? Now yeah, I, I know you're them. you're in the same. I saw them you're, you're in the same area of Pennsylvania that I'm in, um, southeastern right. Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. Um, yes. What, have you always lived in this area? Was it, you know? No. Um, I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and okay. my father was in the Army. And ah. uh, we, when I was six, we were stationed in Germany, and I lived there for two and a half years. When we came back, we lived in Norristown for not even a whole year, and then we moved to Collegeville, which is the area that I'm still in. I live in Trap right now, but it's mm-hmm. right next to Collegeville. Yeah, yeah, so, I'm yeah. I'm I'm a stone's throw from you. Um, we're we're like neighbors. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised we haven't met. In fact, we may have run into what each other. What town are you in? Know. I'm in Malvern. What town do you live in? Malvern. Mal- oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm just down down 29 from you. Um, In fact, I'm going to lunch there with some friends next week. (laughs) Okay. Son of a gun. Small world. Small world. Um, Yeah. So, so you've all. So then you lived in the area when this when you started this fan club and or when you saw the Beatles and you started this fan club. Wow. Yes, I've been I've been living in the Collegeville area since 1959. <laughs> that was the year my house was built. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, okay. um, so that, so that's you, what the, you, yeah, that's what that year are means you, to me. That, you are not ahead. in my age group, I'm guessing. Oh, no, I was, oh, obviously you have not listened to an episode because then I'll break into song no. and start, and start singing about, you know, born too late. Because uh, oh, I, was born oh, in yeah, 60- I was born in '64, <laughs> so oh, that's how that I always was a remember how. Year, by the way. Yeah, a lot of great things happened. No wonder I was born that year. Uh, yeah, so that's how I remember how old <laughs> Paul is because I know that he was 22 in '64. So uh, he's 22 mm-hmm. years older than I am, which is is it sounds like a really okay. great age gap. So. Um, so tell me about you seeing the Beatles in these four times you you got to see them. Okay. Yes. Well, the first time I saw them was in 1964 in Atlantic City. I had wanted to go to Philadelphia and see them, but unfortunately, um, the tickets went on sale on a school day at, no, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They were supposed to go on sale. My father said, okay, we'll take you down there because apparently that was the to buy them at Philadelphia Convention Hall was the only way to get them. So he took my friend and I in the car. As soon as we got out of school, he was there to pick us up, took us down to Philadelphia, and it looked kind of strange. It didn't look like as many people as I thought. And then I realized something, like they had already put the tickets on sale. 
um, Hylett, who was the uh, ringmaster of this whole thing. He was a disc jockey on WIBG. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that the police, there were so many people around at, at like even an hour or two before they were supposed to go on sale that the police said that they had to go on sale immediately or there was going to be a whole, I guess, uprising of Beatles fans or something. So they ended up putting <laughs> wow. them on sale early, and by the time we got there, they were all sold out. Oh, no. So, so you know, like a month later or something, I saw in the newspaper that the Werner Bus Company in Phoenixville was selling uh, bus tickets to see the Beatles in Atlantic City. So Mm -hmm. my parents immediately got those tickets for me, and uh, they did not want me to go on a bus trip with a bunch of other kids with no chaperones. So um, they made a hotel reservation in Atlantic City, and they took us down on, I believe it was the 30th of August was the day of the concert, and we stayed overnight that night after the concert was over. Wow, what great parents. My parents were wonderful. If if oh. I did not have my those parents, I probably would not have had this fan club. Same thing with George Harrison. If his parents were anybody else, I would not have been able to do it because it took those two families to make this fan club work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, if if George Harrison hadn't had the the you know, parents he had, we wouldn't have the Beatles because who in their right mind lets their 17-year-old son go to Germany? Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> to true. Play, to and play in the red light out, district right. in Germany, yeah. you know? I mean, those, are, those are some understanding parents, you know? Yes, that's so, right. Uh, the next, so, anyway, the next time I saw the Beatles was in 1965. I saw them at Chase Stadium. Those tickets I got through my cousin who worked for um, the, what was it, the Philharmonic or something, whatever um, Sid Bernstein used to work for. Anyway, he, uh, my cousin Don worked for him at, at the box office, so he was able to get me tickets to go to it. And then the next time I saw them was in Philadelphia in 1966, at John F. Kennedy Stadium, which no longer exists. And uh, like a few days later, I saw them again at Chase Stadium in 1966. Oh, wow. Those were the only four times I saw them in concert. But I did see them many other times. It just wasn't (laughs) in concert. It's funny. You say those are the only four times I saw them in concert. Hey, you're ahead of me, you know, (laughs) way ahead of me. Yeah. So, so, um, so. Yeah, you would have been a baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My parents, my parents were from, you know, my parents, I had older parents. What's funny is I have, and I've said this before, and I still haven't, people hear it on another episode, but, and I still haven't done it is that my, my siblings were actually, I think they were like 16, 14, and 12. Oh, at that, right ages. At, at, that, at that time. And you know, there's five of them. Um, first two are twins. Um, I've never asked them if they were Beatles fans. Oh, my God. Really? So all these people I interview are the same age as my siblings, and I have never asked my siblings, oh, by the way, were you Beatles fans? You know, and um, why don't you ask them? <laughs> I, you know, I, I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Okay. Um. Anyway, yeah. so so yeah, so and, and I I get reminded of that when when we talk about these things, and sometimes you know, just like you say, you mm-hmm. know, I was a baby, and then I have to remember. Oh, wait a second, I had older siblings. There was a there was a quite an age gap right. between between them, and then my mom had three more kids later. So, um, mm-hmm. anyway, so big family. Oh yes. She wanted 10, but she got eight. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she thought 10 would be the ideal number of children. <laughs> oh, silly okay. woman. Um, so, uh, what inspired you to start the fan club? Well, <clears throat> seems like fan clubs were like in my blood since the time I was, about nine, eight, mm-hmm. no, nine, I guess. 
when I was a big fan of the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, and I just love watching that on repeats. <laughs> repeats, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I watched it when it was, you know, actually a thing. But anyway, I was a big fan of Annette Funicello. And mm-hmm. I decided, I don't know why I thought this. I don't even know what, how I ever heard of fan clubs in the first place, but mm-hmm. and I'm, obviously I heard it somewhere. And I mm-hmm. started this fan club for Annette when I was nine. I mean, you know, it in, you know entailed cardboard and crayons and, you know, all this yeah, kind of stuff. Nine-year-old but, stuff, right. Yeah, right. And then I also decided to have a fan club for Lassie, the dog. Oh, you wow. know who Lassie is? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 I didn't oh, okay. care that much for that series, though, as much as I did for oh, the okay. Mickey Mouse Club. So, yeah. yeah. Well, neither did I, but I also, anyway, started a fan club for Lassie, and <laughs> I wrote a letter to Annette and and made her an honorary member of my Lassie fan club. Oh, many, many, many years later, mm-hmm. when I was cleaning out my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Um, I found in my mother's dresser uh, the the envelope with all with these little you know like a pin made out of cardboard and crayons and stuff. And I had sent that to Annette. I thought I sent it to Annette. I gave it to my mom and asked her to mail it for me. But it mm-hmm. probably ended up just like all those letters to Santa, you know. <laughs> right. Uh huh. Yeah. So anyway, she never got it. But anyway, I'm sort of glad because it's kind of funny to have it now, you know. But right. anyway, right. Um, so that was the first time I had fan club. Then I became interested in American Bandstand. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. You, oh, you were a bandstand okay. girl, that, weren't you? That's uh-huh. what I hear. I, wasn't, to... I, I was not a regular, but I used to go – I went down there on a fairly – regular basis, I guess, from April of 1963 until it moved to California in January of 1964. Now, I got a question. I got a question about the fan club, about American Bandstand, because I remember reading this about you, and this is completely off topic, but you'll understand why I'm about to ask this. Did you ever see Jim Croce there? No. Jim Croce apparently used to frequent bandstand, too. Oh, you mean he was a dancer, too? Well, he used to go down there to, to bandstand and, but, I guess, a dancer. But not as a guest, right? No. Well, eventually, yeah, he years later. Like, then. <laughs> and, I, and, I think, yeah. and I think 72 or 73 he did end up, when it was in California, he ended up as a mm-hmm. guest. But the, yeah. the, sto- the story goes is that when he lived in Philadelphia, he used to go down to appear on bandstand as a dancer. And so when I heard you had also you had also frequented it, I thought, well, maybe there's mm-hmm. a chance. Maybe she remembers Jim Croce being there. So I do not, but I can ask somebody that I, I'm in a Facebook group of people that um, it's all about the Philly bandstand years. And oh. if if that happens, somebody on there is bound to know about it. So I'll check yeah, it out. Ask, yeah, you have to ask for me. So so let's see. So you got interested in bandstand next. Yes, and I had my favorites, you know, like everybody mm-hmm. else, my favorite holes and all that stuff. And um, when I went down there, um, I guess the first thing that happened was um, there was this guy by the name, one of the regulars, by the name of Bruce Kaplan. And my parents had taken my friend and I down there, my two friends, actually. And um, he, he had his camera with him. And Bruce wanted to know if, you know, if my dad would take a picture of him with me. So he did. And then he asked me to send it to him, and he gave me his address. So uh, when the film came back, that didn't develop for whatever reason, and I wrote and told him. And at that time, he asked me if I would like to, be, you know, have a fan club for him. And I thought, why not? You know, so I did. Yeah. And then I also ended up having one for um, my favorite girl um, regular, who was Jerry Ionetti. And mm-hmm. 
I became friendly with her sister, who was also a regular, but I didn't have a fan club for her sister. I only had one for her. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple other people I think I also had fan clubs for. But then when Bandstand ended in January, the last the last taping was important because at that point, Bandstand was not live anymore. Mm-hmm. It would be like five shows or three shows or whatever would be recorded on a weekend. And um, so anyway, the last actual taping date was the 11th of January, 1964. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't shown until I think February, but still. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, while I was sitting there, see, I didn't dance. I never liked to dance. Okay. <laughs> so my friend and I were sitting in the bleachers with this other girl who was also just sitting there watching. Mm-hmm. And um, Dick Clark played I Want to Hold Your Hand for the first time. I never oh. heard it before. And um, I, I, I was, you know, something clicked inside of me. I don't know what it was, but this mm-hmm. girl that was, we were talking to whips this picture from or this newspaper clipping out of her purse. And it was about... Um, it was from Newsweek magazine, and there was a picture of the Beatles and a little blurb saying how Beatlemania had taken over England and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, you know, I saw that and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Later on in the show, he played "She Loves You," and that went a lot even liked more. So I mean, that was a very sad day because everybody had to say goodbye for the last time in the parking lot and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, the following week, Beatlemania went crazy in the United States. <laughs> crazy. Oh, wow. Wow. And and then, you know, I was continuing to have these fan clubs for these bandstand people, but yet they were starting to die out because the interest, you know, I guess wasn't there as much because they were now in California and there was a whole mm-hmm. new set of regulars and yeah, you know, all the all the Philly people started boycotting the show because, you know, it wasn't fair that he moved. <laughs> right, he went he went Hollywood, like the saying. He goes. went Hollywood because there's you know there were more guest stars out there than there were here because doo wop and Philadelphia street corner music and that stuff was starting to get overtaken by Beach Boys type music, surf mm-hmm. surfer music. And right. naturally, that was in California. So that's, I think, the main reason he went out there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the same time, Beatlemania happened. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the fan clubs were starting to die out. I wasn't the only one with fan clubs. A lot of people had fan clubs for the bandstand regulars. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were just regular kids like us. And, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of neat for them, really. But anyhow... Um, after that started to die out, I thought, well, maybe I should have a fan club for one of the Beatles. And my friend and I had taken the Me Beatles album to school, and mm-hmm. we brought it. We came home from school. We always stopped at this soda fountain drugstore place, and mm-hmm. we were sitting there drinking our sodas and um, vanilla Pepsi or vanilla Cokes. By the way, they were popular. Oh! The original. <laughs> yes. I mean, it wasn't from a bot. I mean, it was Coke with, I guess, syrup or extract or something of right, vanilla a vanil- in a vanilla there. Ec- a vanilla, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, vanilla yeah. syrup. So yeah. anyway, we, so it was while we were sitting there, we decided to pick who was going to be our favorite beetle. And my friend picked Paul. Her birthday was before mine, so she got the pick first. So she picked Paul, and I I picked George. Mm -hmm. And not too long after that, I decided I was going to start a fan club for George. And I did it the exact same way that I did it with the regulars. You make up a a membership packet, which has things in it like a fact sheet and a membership card and pictures Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I, I made up some of those, and I talked some friends into or friends and and also pen pals that I had made through bandstand you know talked these people into joining it the dues were um if you lived locally they were 40 cents if you didn't live locally they were 40 cents and three five cent stamps (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. And so, I, you know, of course, right now we're sitting here thinking, what in the world would you have done with 40 cents? You know, 40 cents wouldn't you get you anywhere. But, but, it, fan club. but <laughs> you could join the George Harrison fan club in, in 1964 for 40 cents. So, mm-hmm. and three five cent stamps. Okay. And three, okay. I know, five cent stamps. Isn't that crazy? But mm-hmm. that's the way it was. Anyway, um, then somebody printed a copy of George Harrison's sister's address in a magazine. And mm-hmm. I wrote to her. I made her an honorary member. Her name mm-hmm. is Louise Harrison. We right. called her Lou. Mm-hmm. And um, she's still alive. Actually, next month she's going to turn 90. Wow. So, yeah, I, I've actually talked with her on the phone. She's she's just as, as sweet as can be. Sweet yes, as can I be. know. I know. She's very nice. But at that time, I didn't really meet her. I made her this honorary member, and this is how she responded. She took my fact sheet and crossed out all the wrong answers and wrote all the right answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I had, what I had was just stuff I gathered from these magazines, you know? Right. And, um, wow, I actually have something George Harrison's sister wrote on, you know, when I was mm-hmm. all excited about that. And um, I obviously I changed my fact sheet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't have too many members. But by the end of Jan- or by the end of 1964, I had also gotten the address of George's mother in England, and I heard that if you enclose an international reply coupon with mm-hmm. your letter, she'll answer it. Well, I had no idea what an international reply coupon was, so I went to the post office, found out that it was it was worth the amount of a postage stamp. Okay, mm-hmm. so I mean to another country. So right. I got some of those, and I, I wrote her a letter, and I sent them. I didn't hear anything right away. Uh, around Christmas, all of a sudden, I get a Christmas card from her in the mail, from her and her husband. Wow. I was so blown away. You can't imagine. I you mean, still have you it? know, when you're that in, huh? You still have I it? still have it? I probably still have it in this box that I have that has all her letters from it. Oh, from, wow. I mean, it's probably How down cool there in the, in, in the cellar. But, yes. So In the cellar? Anyway, oh, no, no, no. Get it out. Well, no, I, I, I think have, it... no, I got a, a footlocker, and I all my fan club stuff in there. And and tell me, there's a reason tell me how it raised up off the floor reason. in case there's ever a flood. I don't want it. Oh, no. yeah, it's on a shelf. I'm sorry. Yes, Uh-oh, it's on okay. a shelf. I, I, I'm Hi. very protective of everybody else's stuff. <laughs> and besides, not only did I have it in a footlocker, but I actually have all those letters in a, a steel um, con- metal container with a lock. So oh, it's good safe. for you. Good for you. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, um, finally she started writing to me. In I guess early '65, mm-hmm. and you know I was thrilled to pieces. Anyway, then I well, what I had done with my fan clubs, you know, from bandstand is to advertise that uh, magazines had advertisements. They had a whole page of just for addresses of fan clubs, and you could send in your fan club and advertise it. I don't even mm-hmm. think it cost anything. So I had sent my George Harrison fan club information to Teen Screen Magazine, and mm-hmm. then I kind of forgot all about it. And I guess it was around April, May, maybe. Um, came home from school, and I had a whole bunch of mail, like twenty or thirty letters. And I thought, where wow. did this all come from? And one of them happened to be a local person lived in Phoenixville, mm-hmm. and uh, I got her phone number and called her and asked her, "Where did you?" you know, hear about this. And mm-hmm. she said it was in Teen Screen Magazine. Well, the drugstore that I frequented for such things didn't seem to have gotten it in yet. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it soon did, and I checked it out, and damned if it wasn't. You know, there it was. And the mail wow. kept getting bigger and bigger. The Collegeville Post Office at one point said that I got the third largest amount of mail of anyone in Collegeville. 
The only other oh, wow. two that were more that got more mail than me were Sinus College and um, Superior Tube Company. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So I developed a, a, an interesting rapport with the post office after that. But oh, I um, can imagine. Yeah, right. Can imagine. It was, it was bizarre. So I, you know, finally, I, you know, I had hundreds and hundreds of these, and and you know, by then I, no, I turned sixteen, I guess in May of sixty-five, and mm-hmm. um, what am I gonna do? I mean, should have seen it. There were. It came all different ways. I mean, my forty cents and three five cent stamp came in cash. Mostly, it was in cash that people had scotch taped to paper or index cards. Some of them, even one person I remember, even attached hers with a band aid. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was crazy. For people, thing you ever people saw. who don't, yeah, people who are who are too young to remember, um, we used to do that in. You could do that yes. in the seventies when you wanted something, and they said send fifty cents. You taped it to a card, yeah. and and you put it right. in the mail. And now you get in trouble for doing that. <laughs> you're not. Absolutely. You're not supposed, yeah. Yeah. You, they don't want you sending sending coins through the mail. But yeah, that's what you did. You put it. You just taped <laughs> it to a card and mailed it in. And uh, right. yeah. So you had. So you must have had all kinds of change. Oh my God. And how did my you keep records? I my... mean, at this point, you had to have. You okay. had to have. This is where my parents come in. Mm-hmm. My mother became almost my secretary. I would go to school. When I would come home from school, she would have sorted the mail. She would have opened it, separated the money from the, the letter, made sure she had all the addresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I mean, that was the first thing we did was to collect it all, you know. Right. And then mm-hmm. we started getting occasional phone calls from parents of people who said their kids sent in their whole allowance they haven't received anything and (laughs) up until this time up until the time that I started getting all this mail the way that I would do these membership kits was you're going to laugh a typewriter and carbon paper you know what carbon paper is Okay. Yeah, good. Seriously. All right. Yeah, there there was so, there was there, yeah there was no laptops. There was no uh, no. Uh, what, what what was nothing. the in between? They used to have the um, I guess, I'm blanking in, on in what they call it. Between the typewriter and the a word processor. That's what it a was. A word processor. Yeah, they didn't have in word between processor. that and the computer. Right. Yeah. Right. At before the, before at the computer, time, after the mm-hmm. typewriter, they didn't have word processors. There was no saving anything. You carbon papered or you went and found a Xerox mm-hmm. machine. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Xerox machines, they weren't even that easy to come by, believe it right. or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> carbon yeah. paper was the way to go. So anyway, I bought onion skin paper. You know what that is? Yeah. Um. Little, little hay. Yeah. It was, I get the it idea. was also called... It was also called erasable bond. So when you made a mistake, you could use a pencil eraser and, Mm -hmm. you know, make it go away. But I had to learn how to type really good because I was doing like five at a time with my carbon paper. And, it, you know, it just wasn't working out. So my dad was in the Army stationed at Valley Forge Army Hospital. Mm -hmm. And he said, we got to get some pictures together, right? I said, yeah. So he and I, well, he, first of all, he hired some private in the Army to help him out. And they mm-hmm. had a, a dark room, a photo developing lab on, mm-hmm. the, on the campus of the Army Hospital. So um, we went over there. He hired this guy. He bought all these supplies. You know, I didn't have a clue. My mm-hmm. my grandfather, his hobby was developing pictures. That's how my dad knew how to do it. Ah. And, um, yeah. See, it's a family thing. So Everybody, it's anyway, a family business. Yes, it was absolutely the family business. The Kinzer slash Harrison family business, you could say. Anyway, mm-hmm. Kinzer was my maiden name. Anyway, um, so we went over there and we printed – Oh, God, a couple thousand pictures. It took us several nights to do all this, but we got them all printed. First of all, I'd have to get the pictures, which would 
typically be taken off of the television set by me, or I got negatives made of um, beetle bubblegum cards. You know, you can oh. do that. You can actually, you take them. I took them to the drugstore, that same drugstore that had the um, uh, that we sat at after school every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they actually um, could send away to their company, I guess, and get these negatives made of any picture you gave them, legal or not. I guess they, I guess they didn't care about copyright laws back then. I, I don't think so at that time anyway. That came <laughs> I mean, into play usually later. Any, anybody else would say, no, sorry, this is, you know, copyrighted material. Bubblegum card nowadays, you know, they'd be, they yes. refuse to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so you went and got. place didn't refuse. So anyway, that's how I got negatives, and then we had to use the negatives to print the pictures in this photo lab. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, my mother was trying to find a place that would do copying so I wouldn't have to type all those fact sheets up. Mm-hmm. And she found a place in Norristown who uh, did mimeographing. Mimeographing, mm-hmm. are you familiar with mimeographing? Uh, is that like making dittos in school? No, that was that was actually called a spirit copier, which ah. came out usually in purple. Right, the print was yeah. in purple. But it this, smelled this good. no, mimeographing was a step up from that. It was oh, okay. Uh, it was very messy. I'll tell you that. It, it's this big machine, and you have to put black ink in this one part of it, and then you have your your stencils. I had to type the the information onto a mimeograph stencil, which had like it's hard to describe them, but there's like wax on the back of the paper that okay. made it that kind of stamped it out. Uh huh. When you type, anyway, um, that yeah, um, I had to do all those, which was not a big deal, except that. Uh, correcting mistakes was a pain on there. I couldn't figure out how to do that right away, so I would just have to X out whatever I made a mistake on, <laughs> <laughs> which was really kind of tacky, but, you know. Anyway, hey, you're, you're 16. It, it feels almost like it was like prehistoric days or something. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, to compare to what we have today, it definitely Right, because now we just yell at spell checker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway... Anyway, they put they hook the the um, there's like holes at the top of the stencil. You hook them on this rolled part of the like a drum kind of thing on uh-huh. this machine, and then mm-hmm. you manually <laughs> turn a handle, mm-hmm. and the the pages come out. Right, I have I have big of actually. Back in back in high school, and this is my senior year of high school. This would have been eighty one, eighty two. Of actually, I was uh-huh. taking an office machines. It was called office machines class for taking you know office uh-huh. learning, you know business business machines or something like that. That was my so, favorite class. It was called office practice. I loved that class. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, you couldn't fail it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you would you, you would learn how to how to transcribe. You remember the little foot pedal to stop the re- the the recording. Oh, those things. Yeah, we didn't learn how to do that in school because what we learned was shorthand. I took three years of shorthand. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't take. I didn't take the shorthand. I this was something to fill up time during my senior year. But yes, I do have vague mm-hmm. memories of using a mimeograph machine. As I said, I re- kind of remember it, but you know, uh, there's nothing. Right. There's nothing like these machines anymore. So, you know. Right. Anyway, so well, continuing that, that on. Company, so. The- yeah, my mother found this company anyway that would do that, and they did a terrible job, I gotta say, because you know it's real easy to smear the ink because it, oh, it's just you have to do it to appreciate it. I can't really give it any justice when I explain it, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, they printed up all my fact sheets, and we had uh, membership cards. I forget where we got them printed, um, but anyway, we had to you know do this. Because these phone calls from these angry parents were coming in. So we got all the stuff assembled. Our dining room table became fan club central. And we sat there and we made fan club kits by the hundred. And, um, you know, we all we had to eat dinner in the living room on TV trays because okay, there was no, no room in the dining room. 
Were you an only child, or did you have siblings? I was an only child. Yes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I'm finding a lot of a lot of the people I'm I'm, uh, interviewing lately were only children and um, army or navy brats. Um, Yes. Yeah. So yes, I'm an army brat, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's it's really interesting how how this you know how a lot of these people you know with these memories you know the vivid memories and everything and the great parents you know. Uh, oh yeah. My God. My parents so, were so, so wonderful. I mean, I was previous to this, I was getting like five dollars a month allowance, and um, they raised they raised it to five dollars a week for me. <laughs> they had to. I was up in here thinking this, this forty cents. This forty cents yeah. is not covering it anymore. Oh yeah, they all they also time. made me. They made me raise my uh, dues to fifty cents. <laughs> my parents did. <laughs> there anyway, you go. Um, eventually, I got this. We got this all together and took them all down to the post office. Their mouths were like hanging open, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. here we had our business. It was an actual business, you know. Wow. It was amazing. But how a 15-, 16-year-old could have a business only with the help of her parents and right. George Harrison's parents. My, uh, when I started to do newsletters, mm-hmm. um, they they were printed by that awful company, too. And... um we soon found another way of doing that. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the, the girl from Phoenixville that I called when I started getting all of the, all this mail and mm-hmm. she had a, she became my vice president that she became, mm. I mean, her sister, her older sister worked in an office where they had mm-hmm. one of these wonderful uh, mimeograph machines and she did mm-hmm. our newsletters and she did a much better job. So awesome. you know, that was good. But George's mother became, uh, she had a column in the newsletter. Newsletter was called the Harrison Herald. <laughs> and my dad, in the beginning, my dad did a lot of the, a lot of the art for it. And um, George's mother had this column. Anytime I got, you know, anything I was going to print, I all whatever it was, I would ask mm-hmm. George's mother to tell me if it was true or not. Because I wouldn't, I didn't want to print anything that wasn't true, okay? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, his mother was a godsend to me. And then she hooked me up with her daughter-in-law, George's brother's um, wife, and mm-hmm. she became uh, also a columnist in my newsletter. So, mm-hmm. like, this was definitely a family affair. Um, she set me up with her niece who um, is George's cousin, and mm-hmm. she and I became pen pals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And, I mean, it's just, you know, when I had George's sister, you know, I was mm-hmm. corresponding with her secretary. She had, a high, she had so much mail coming into her house that she had to hire a secretary because she still had two little kids at home that she was taking care of, you know. It, mm-hmm. was, it was craziness. Mm-hmm. But... In about 1966, I got this idea that I really needed to have George's permission to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, George's mother, she she was always, she was, I would have contests in my newsletters, and she mm-hmm. would supply the the prizes, you know, autographed oh. pictures, oh, guitar wow. picks, you know, all kinds of stuff. She was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, to make to make it even more family oriented, you won't believe this. One time, I was my mother was starting to go through the change of life, as we called it then, mm-hmm. and um, she was in a bad mood, and you know all the stuff that you know goes along right. with that. And mm-hmm. I telling Mrs. Harrison about this because I was complaining about it, you know. And right. <laughs> next thing I know, she sends me in the mail two yeast tablets. And she said, "This, these are what helped get her through menopause." <laughs> <laughs> and I wow. give those to my mother. Yeah, I, I know. I don't. I'm sure your mother appreciated the happened. fact that you'd that you'd been discussing this with you know George Harrison's mother. Yeah. You yeah, know, right. just what everyone wants. I don't think, you know, I don't but... think she cared. I, she thought it was kind of funny that these two yeast tablets came in the mail. But anyway, we were like one big family, I guess. 
Right. Anyhow, so did you ever did you uh, did you ever meet them? Did you ever meet the Harrisons? Oh yeah. Wonderful people. I did. I met them twice. Yeah, yes, you went over house. there? Oh yeah. That that's a whole that that's a few years down the road yet. Okay. Ah. So anyway, I had to get permission. I wanted to get permission for George to um you know, let me have this fan club officially. I told mm-hmm. I just sensed I needed something in writing. Right. But probably because in 1966, I graduated from high school, and I went to work as a secretary at Ursinus mm-hmm. College in the athletic department. And mm-hmm. the person, I, I don't know where it came from, but there was a book in my office that was like all these, um, you know, proper ways to do uh, letters and all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. I found in there, you know, on contracts. So I, using that as a sample, I made up a charter. And mm-hmm. I sent it to George's mother. She said she would get George to sign it. She supposedly did, although later I found out that it was actually she signed it. Because all in the space where he was supposed to write, all she wrote was the word George. She didn't write Harrison. And mm-hmm. it looked like his writing to me, although given the amount of letters she used to get, she probably learned really well how to write his name, his autograph, right. you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, um, let's see, then what happened? Oh, yeah, she sent that back to me. I was thrilled out of my mind, you know. And um, I guess, let's see, fast forward to 1968. Mm -hmm. 1968 was the time I went to England for the first time Mm -hmm. and met George. I I had, you know, time set up when I was going to go and, uh, meet the Harrisons, you know, his parents. I had mm-hmm. another time set up that I was going to go to his brother's house. You know, we had all, all this was set up in advance. And um, and they all knew you? Yeah. They all knew who you were? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Only, okay. You know, the only one I really hadn't corresponded with up until. Just to make sure, you know, just so they, everybody knows, you weren't doing a stalker thing. You didn't just show up on their no. front porch. No. They all knew no, you. They knew I you did were not. coming. Yes. It actually, in February of 68 was the first time that I knew 100% that George knew who I was. Because when he was in India with the Beatles, mm-hmm. I wrote him a letter. I used to write him letters all the time. And he never really answered any of them until he was in India. Probably had a lot of time on his hands. Right. And I I got the address of the ish or the uh Oh, what is it called? Ashram. Yeah, Ashram that he was at. And I wrote him a letter there. And one day I came home from school because it was still before I – no, no, no. Came home from work, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I was working by then. Um, mm-hmm. I came home and there was this um, air letter form. And it had George Harrison written on the back of it. And that, that little symbol that he always uses, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like – he used it for his dark horse records, and it's a okay. little Indian symbol that means right. something. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was on there. But I was used to getting stuff like that from people all over the world, you know? I didn't right. think uh-huh. anything of it until I opened it up and realized that it was a letter from George written on Ashram uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's stationery. <laughs> wow. Now I wow. knew it was real. Double, double. You know? There's a bonus. Yes, that was a bonus. Yes, I have it. I don't have it insured, but I do have it framed, and, you know, it's in a special place. And although the, it was written with a fountain pen, so it's it's actually fading. Every year it fades a little bit more. Aww. I can't help it. Time goes on. But I had, before it started to fade, I made multiple photocopies of it so that I, you know, because when you make a photocopy of something that's light, it comes out darker. So, right. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. So anyway, um, so he knew who I was. So before I went to England, I sent him a certified letter with return receipt on it telling him when and what time I was going to appear on his doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> now, I knew where he was because I don't remember how I figured out the directions, but somehow I did, or maybe somebody told me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
his mother had even sent me a picture or not a picture of like a almost like a blueprint but it wasn't a blueprint because she drew it it was a drawing of his house and where all the rooms of the different rooms were in the house wow the layout <laughs> yeah sure. i mean she was great that lady <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine somebody's some some big famous star's mother giving you a blueprint of the house? You know, considering all the stalkers you know, George, and the breaking. George probably had no idea that I did that, because he was a very private person. He would have probably had a fit on her if she did that, or if he knew she did that. You know. Right. Anyway. So, then, so I sent him. And he's married to Patty at the time. So this is his and Patty's house. Is that right? Yes. That's yeah, right. okay. So, um, I mean, up until he got actually married to Patty, I couldn't stand her guts, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had yeah. a picture of her inside my closet door, and I used it as a dartboard. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Poor Patty. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Funny. Now, have you but since anyway. met her? Uh, yes, I have. But not back then. I didn't meet her until... 2008 at a Beatles Okay, fest. long after the divorce. Okay. Oh, yeah, way long after the divorce. Okay. Okay, so um, anyway, uh, I went to England that year with um, four friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the day before we were supposed to go to Georgia's house, two of us went to Georgia's house. Anyway, no, three of us, excuse No, it was only two of us. Two of us, yes. We went to George's house just to see, if, make sure we knew how to get there and everything, you know? Right. Staying in London, and his house was in the suburbs. So, anyway, we took the train there, and we found it, and we just, you know, would stand there. and We didn't really do anything. Um, we didn't attempt to knock on the door, go on the property. It had a big wall around it, but there was an open door to the property so it wasn't like he was keeping people out you know right and we knew he was home because his car was there both of his cars and patty's car were all there Mm -hmm. and then interestingly while we were standing there mal evans you know who mal evans is right yes Uh uh-huh the road manager he came up the driveway in his car and he put his window down and he said you guys just stay back here. Don't go. Don't go into the property. And we said, "Oh yeah, we will." And so he went in there. And a little bit later, we heard music coming out of there. And like a week after that, on the radio, we heard what we had heard outside of his house: "Revolution." Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. Recognized it when I heard it on the radio. Couldn't believe it. But anyway. So it must have been play, then, playing one of the early copies of it. Yes. Well, it was probably, yeah, one of the first, or maybe it was even like the last one. I don't know. You know, they make gazillion tape, takes of something. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, um, then came the day that we were going to go to his house. Mm-hmm. So went to his house knocked on the door, or rang the doorbell. I forget which. Anyway, the door opens, and here is this nice lady with red hair, and her name was Margaret, and she's the housekeeper. Ah. And I told her I told her who I was, and I said, I'm here to see George. I sent him this letter, and he should know I'm coming. <laughs> and she <laughs> said, that's right. You're Pat, aren't you? I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, surprise me when people call me by name if I haven't actually, you know, said who I was. Right. But right. So she said George was not there at the moment and that he would be back. You know, I should come back at like 3 o'clock or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I forget. It's in my book, but I'm not going to look it up right now. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. he, um, she said, come back. And she said, if if he's not here, you can talk to Patty because she'll be up by then. Apparently, Patty was in bed sleeping. So um, we said, can we take some pictures? She said, around the outside of the house. And she said, sure. So there hanging on the wash line was um, 
George's underwear. His oh, my. shirt that he used. <laughs> remember, if you ever remember seeing pictures of a blue shirt, a blue under T-shirt with it looked like a, a necktie painted on it. Uh huh. Well, he was that was hanging on the clothesline and some other stuff, and we took pictures of that. Now, don't you <laughs> think George Harrison would have a dryer, or that the cleaning lady would would uh housekeeper? You know, um, the housekeeper think, if she's but... doing the, if she's doing the laundry, that she would you know not be hanging his drawers out on the line in public. I mean, well, it wasn't really in public because the house had this big wall around it. And, Unless but you said it was. You said it was open. There, there wasn't a gate. There wasn't a gate. No. Yeah. So anybody could have just <laughs> no. walked on there and stolen George's underwear. There's no way <laughs> in hell we were going to do that. We were good. We were little goody two shoes people, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so we left. We thought we'd maybe go get something to eat in town and then come back. Right. And as we, there's this long, not only his driveway but the long road, you know to get to mm-hmm. the main road. So we're walking down the road, and here comes this uh, car that was a, a – I think George had actually been home, but he was probably not decent or something, and she didn't right. want us to know that, you know. So uh-huh. anyway, here comes this um, green Mini Cooper up the road coming from the direction of his house, and – we knew it was him because, well, first of all, we knew what all their cars were. And right, of course. Certainly, yes, of course. There's certain things you had to know if you were a hardcore You had to know fan. everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. So anyway, we're standing there, and George, he stopped his car and backed it up to where we were. Mm-hmm. And we were just looking at him. Our mouths were hanging open. He opens the car door. And he he looks us over, and, you know, individually, he looked all three of us over, and then he looks at me and points at me and says, you're Pat, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonder I didn't, like, pass out in the street, you know? How but did he know that? How did he know that? Apparently, his mother probably told him stories about me, and, of course, yeah, his housekeeper knew I'd been there a little earlier, and he got uh-huh. the letter in the mail. And it, right, but, you know, but I assume he didn't have a picture of you, right? Or did he? Or had he seen I the had, picture? Of- I know that I had sent pictures to his mother. And that's Perhaps probably it. she showed him one. I don't know, but he recognized yeah. me anyway. And it wasn't like the three of us all looked alike either. <laughs> right. But of course, we all had long hair, but, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, um I said, yeah, I'm Pat, and put out my hand. He put his hand out, and we shook hands, and I did not want to let go, but I did. And uh, he I said, I hate those moments. I know you're so sick. Huh? I hate those moments when you know you you're, you want to hold on, but you just can't. Yeah. You know? I don't uh-huh. want to be a crazy person. Don't be a crazy person. Please don't act like a crazy yeah, person. Yeah, I, I tried really hard to be a normal person. I really did. <laughs> and the other two didn't, I think, say anything because they were so – you know, just struck, Gops you know, back. but I mean, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm like that too. Until you get, I guess there's a certain button you push on me and, it, you know, I talk <laughs> <laughs> in this case, it was a telephone button. But um, <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, I know we're supposed to meet today, but he says, can we meet? Like maybe, can you come back tomorrow? And we, of course, all nodded our heads. Yes. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> because there's yeah, nothing well, else that would have kept us matter. from this. Just, you know? No no problem. We'll just call up the airline, change our flights, hotel reservations. Yeah, right. Ah, to help it. This is George Harrison. You know? Yeah, right. That's right. If we would have had that issue, we would have probably. But right. this was more, oh, my open heart this surgery. Was like within, I'll cancel. Huh? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you right. thinking, yo, if I didn't care if I was having open heart surgery. You know? Cancel it. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying George Harrison. Right. Right. So... I, I remember saying, can I take your picture? And he says, I really don't have time right now. You can take all the pictures you want tomorrow. So we agreed on a time, which I believe was 1 o'clock. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he was very polite. He said, nice to meet you and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, then he drove off. And I immediately burst into tears. 
because I had wanted this for so long, it seemed like to me, you know? Now, and I, had, I got, I got, I got, I got to have a little, little, little thing here where, um, just so you know, this is, this is the second interview I'm, I'm recording today. And literally, I just had a conversation with the, another Beatles fan where she told me, you know, upon meeting Paul McCartney, and uh, she came off the stage and she burst into tears. Same thing. Just the oh, adrenaline was, uh, just she was, takes she over the, and the, yes. you just burst into tears. Too much. Yes, that's right. Too much. Right. My other two friends that were with me didn't, but I was his fan club president. This was really, right. really huge, you know. So right, exactly. anyway, Absolutely. I got back to the hotel we were staying in and I I had told my parents and my fan club uh, vice president and secretary that I was going to, you know, when I met him, I was going to send them a telegram that said, mission accomplished. So they were, you know, at home waiting for this. Right. So I went home. I mean, I went back to the hotel, and I said, can I send a telegram? And they said, sure. Showed me how to do it. I did it. And everybody soon knew that I had accomplished what I went wow. there to accomplish, you know? So wow. anyway, the next the next day we went back just like, you know, mm-hmm. he said we could go back the next day. So we knocked on the door. Margaret answered again. She says, hello, Pat. And <laughs> they made me feel like family, these people. So um, anyway, she um, said he'll be out in a couple of minutes. So we waited on the doorstep, and here he comes. And uh, we there was the whole group that, that had traveled with me, all five of us, we were there now. You know, the others, mm-hmm. they knew this right. was happening, and, you know, they were going to be part of it. So mm-hmm. we, I'm surprised we all the hotel were like staff looking at him like we, nobody, huh? What? I'm surprised the hotel staff, you know, everybody wants finding out, you know, anybody, anybody and everybody who's like, you know, if you even mentioned the fact that you were meeting George Harrison the next day, I'm surprised you didn't have a, uh, you know, a crowd of people following behind you, like, she's going to see George. Well, no, when we, when we were doing the telegram thing, there was nobody else in the lobby except the lady that was at the desk. So, you know, <laughs> and this <laughs> was the town that he lived in. They knew, uh, uh, you know, they knew him okay. because he was around town. You know, it wasn't like <laughs> he was a stranger or anything. So right. they wouldn't have done that to him, I don't think. You know, to go and announce it to people, but they, they didn't. You know, all it said was mission accomplished. So really, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, we went back to his house. You know, we went in. George came out, and we're all standing there, and the five of us couldn't even speak. <laughs> and finally, George had to start the conversation. He's probably mm-hmm. used to that. He probably meets yeah. a lot of people that just stand there and gawk at him. Right. So he just started to talk, and we started to talk, and he said, you know, I'll sign whatever you have, and take as many pictures as you want. So, you know, we were there for a good 20, 25 minutes. On his front step, you didn't get in? uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, we didn't go in the house. I think Patty was still in bed or something. I don't think that he usually invited fans inside of his house. Yeah, but, I, but, but hear the stories of, of his parents would literally just invite anybody in that came knocking at the door. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I just yeah, wondered if it was a, a family thing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I said, oh, that reminds me. I would like you to re-sign this fan club charter because I had typed up another copy of mm-hmm. it. Even though I didn't know if, it, if George's mother had really, you know, signed the other right. one. I didn't know that that even was a thing until much, 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 much later. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and so so he looked at it and he read it and he said, why don't you just, you know, join up with the official Beatles fan club? It would be a lot easier on you. You wouldn't have as much work to do. I said, no, you don't understand. I want to do this. I want to do this for you. Right. <laughs> you know? And he says, okay. He says, I just wondered because, you know, um, I didn't want you to, you know, sue me or anything. I said, why would I sue you? Remember that because that's important later on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell, really, I'm gonna tell you. So I, I'm going to tell you what. Only a couple of weeks later. What? Well, we're going to run out of time here very soon. I'm sorry. 
Oh, that's fine. Okay. No, this is good. Anyway, this is very good. Okay, well then, okay. Anyway, he did sign the charter for me again, uh-huh. and we had a nice chat. I did see him again in '69 at his house, and uh-huh. I, in '71 when I went again, I did not see him because our airplane tickets, unfortunately, were scheduled for the same time as the Bangladesh concert, and he was in New York. Ah. Uh. <laughs> But that did not stop me from going to Friar Park and meeting his, uh, or visiting with his brother Harry and wife and two kids who happened to be moving in that day. <laughs> oh, but anyway, very good. Um, if you want me to wrap this up, so I will wrap it up. Um, if you want it, I'm just saying this to the people that are listening. If you uh-huh. want to hear the rest of the story, I wrote two books. The first one was called Do You Want to Know a Secret?, the story of the official George Harrison fan club that was published in 2005. At mm-hmm. that time, the fan club had ended. It didn't end well. I didn't understand why. It was our secret, I guess. And um, so I just published another one. It was just released on the 10th of June, and it's called Do You Promise Not to Tell? The Final Story of the Official George Harrison Fan Club. Because after I published the first one, I started to get phone calls from people giving me information that I did not know beforehand. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh, if you yeah, like yeah. It was, it, it was, book, yeah that's, what, that's what I read about the first you, book. Now, the first book, we, we, we can't find anywhere um, for all the listeners. It's right. hard to find. I don't know if you can borrow a copy from someone or possibly, you know. It doesn't you know, really matter, though. Because the all of that is cover covered. And, yes. Oh, absolutely. That, well, that works out the first very well. Book was, the first book was only, wait a minute, I'll tell you in a second how many pages it was. Wait, hold on. It was 166 pages long. The new book uh, is 460 pages long. Ah, uh, now I know why it's 466 pages. I was wondering how, boy, that must have been one yeah. big secret. So it's, it does cover the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It so, covers the whole thing. So if you want to get it, it's available on Amazon. And I will put um, a link you to just it. Type in, type in, do you promise not to tell? And then type in my name, which is listed as Pat Kinzer, K-I-N-Z-E-R. Mancuso. Eventually, right. I'm going to have a website for this book, but I haven't done it yet. Oh, but great. The book is $20.99 anyway. plus tax and shipping, mm-hmm. unless you're an Amazon Prime member, in which case then mm-hmm. you don't have to pay for the shipping. Right. And uh, It's more than $0.40. It. Cents. It's more than oh, $0.40 yes. cents and three stamps. Definitely. And there okay, are no so don't be sending Pat. Yeah, don't be taping any coins to cards and mailing them <laughs> off to Pat and thinking you're going to get a book. That's not the way this works anymore. Right. This is not the 60s right. and 70s. Okay. We've moved right. up. Go uh-huh. to Amazon and order yourself a book. I'll put a link up on the page. I think you, you ended at a really great spot because I know you probably have a whole lot more to tell about, um, oh God, yes. about well, what went on and how you ended up with pages. Right. <laughs> thousands, thousands of, you know, a thousand members, you know, around the world in the George Harrison fan club, I'm sure there's some great stories that go with it. And there's some, probably some great stories about, you know, his family, because his family, just any, any story that comes out about these, the, about the Harrisons is just amazing. And, um, Mm -hmm. so they were amazing people. Yeah. Just amazing people. And, and Lewis is very special too. And she's, you know, I believe is she and so are my parents. My parents are very special. Oh yeah. They went through all this. Absolutely. And, because I tell you, my parents survive. would have never done anything like that. They would have, no. But then no. again, you said you had what? Your mother wanted 10 children, so yeah. she <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have had time. <laughs> she, she, by, the time she had, by the time she had the last three after a 12-year break from having children, she had those uh, last three, she had given up, whatever. <laughs> Just do whatever. Yeah. Just stay. Don't burn <laughs> the house down, you know. <laughs> right. don't, play, don't get hit by a car. You know, so, yeah, so, it was, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, by the way, the, uh, this book, also, the book also includes my trip diaries from all three years that I went to England, awesome. they're in the back as an appendix, and mm-hmm. also in the back there is, believe it or not, 
a story that my father wrote. And I, it's, I, I asked him for years, please, would you write the story of your life for me so I know everything? Because I was heavy, heavily into genealogy at one point. And mm-hmm. so here he typed it up on a computer, which I had to teach him how to use. Oh, my God, what a nightmare. But anyway, <laughs> he did it. It's not, you know, it's not that long. It's probably about the size of a chapter in my book, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he wrote that up. And he passed away in 2019, and I thought as an honor to him, I was going to print that also. Awesome. So I awesome. Put, I put his little story in the back also as an appendix. Great. But the rest of well, it is all, it's all just George and me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Pat, for being a guest on my show. I've really enjoyed your story. You've made my evening. Thank um, you. Yeah, and while while I've been talking to you, just so you know, I don't know if you're seeing it from trap, but there there's literally a rainbow right outside my window that appeared while you're while you were talking about me. Oh, really? So, so yeah, so I'm like, oh, it's an <laughs> omen. It's an omen. Somehow mm-hmm. I'm Beatles related. It's an omen for me. I know it. Uh, okay. Do you still go? Wait, real quick, real quick before we go. Do you go to McCartney concerts? Oh my God, yes. And are you one of the tattooed? No. Women? You have not gotten a tattoo. Okay. I'm not. I just no, to... I never was on the stage. I, actually, as many times, you know, that I saw the Beatles in England at their recording studios, I never really talked to any of them except for George. And one time I bumped into Ringo and said, he said, excuse me. And I said, oh, sorry, Ringo. And that was the only conversation I had with him. But <laughs> I didn't ever, I've never talked to John or Paul. I've been oh. like right next to them, but I never spoke to them. I was well. I was well, very we're, we're, we're just, we're just, I was uh, focused hey, on George. You know, you know how it goes. If you've breathed the air that they've breathed, then you're yes. special to every Beatles fan in the world. So we we consider you know you very special. Yes. So thank you again. Well, when and... you read the chapter, when you read the chapter about the time that I drug an ex-boyfriend who wasn't ex at the time to a Ravi Shankar concert just so we could breathe the same air that of Ravi because Ravi breathed Georgia. <laughs> there you go. Air. Now everybody Oh my you god, got did it. I have a headache. Now you got what? now you gotta re everybody buy the book. And uh thank you again, Pat, and thank you listeners and I will uh talk to everybody or see everybody or hear everybody or speak to everybody next week for another episode of I Saw the Beatles.